Welcome to another edition of Close to the Vest. My name is Arthur Ettinger, where we talk about everything and anything divorce and relationship related. I am happy to have today in the studio, Dr. Sharon Grand. Uh, Dr. Grant today is a, well, not today, every day, is a clinical psychologist, sorry about that, uh, and also the founder of Wavelength Psychology. Dr. Grant, thanks for coming. My pleasure. Do you mind if I call you Sharon? No, please do. Okay, awesome. So, as many already know, you know, there are so many issues, there are so many emotions that are around relationships and um Self-care is really important. And whether you are going through a divorce or you're in a relationship or if you're not in a relationship, you know, uh, we can't go it alone. And that's where you come in. And I think you offer an amazing service for people, especially those that are going through the cheese grater of a divorce. Mm -hmm. So I thought it would be amazing to have you on to talk about that and how people can benefit um, by seeing uh, someone like yourself. So can you, do you mind, Sharon, talking a, a little bit about your background um, as a therapist, how you got into it? Um, and then I'd love to talk about um, your background. I know that you grew up in a house with divorced parents and maybe how that shaped your, uh, you know, who you are today. So there's so much to talk about. And so why don't we just dive in? Okay. So, um, interestingly enough, it was my divorced parents that got me into psychology. Awesome. Um, so my parents divorced when I was, well, between the ages of 12 and 14 years old. And, um, I went to see a psychologist at that time and then sort of, you know, healed up, forgot about that experience in a lot of ways and went on to college and then did really well in my psychology class, got involved in the crisis hotline. And my family sort of calls me the accidental psychologist. It was sort of like I wasn't really aiming for it, but just sort of kept going in that direction. It was just something I really loved to do. So went to school, did my internship, did my postdoc, and here I am. Got it. Yeah. And um, do you think having um, grown up in a house where your parents were divorced do you think that um, has kind of played into how you are, let's say, as as a parent? Um, yeah, I think it, it for me, it plays into a lot of things. And I'll talk a little bit about how it plays in for me. But one of the things I feel like I really want to acknowledge is that every divorce is completely different. Right. You know, we start out with different families. And then when parents decide to divorce, every process, as you know, of going through that is completely different. So for my process, um, I think that um, going through the divorce uh, made me think about and made me realize, I guess, kind of break through the veneer of happily ever after, mm -hmm. right? So going sure. through that divorce really, or with my family, really made me realize um, how that marriages may not last mm -hmm. and the kind of work that I wanted to put into a marriage. And that doesn't necessarily guarantee a lasting marriage either, obviously. Right. But it, I think that it put my perspective to it in a different way. And I do think it impacted my parenting. I think that one of the things that came out of the divorce for me was, um, for me personally, was the importance of honesty um, for both the good and the bad. 
you know, really sure. how much that impacted me for my parents to um, be straight up with me while things were happening. And I think that that was an important piece of it. Yeah. <clears throat> I think you've, you've hit on a lot of things which are really important. And I know that, you know, it's not like I went into my marriages wanting to, uh, to fail, but I looking back and I know that I am a much better uh, partner. I am a much better parent, um, dad, as a result of what I've been through. And so I have to believe that you as a therapist, it helps you having, uh, I know you're happily married, but having seen that as a child, so you understand, especially when your uh, patients have children and they're going through a divorce, you're able to shed some perspective. Yeah, I think, you know, when, when we go through difficult times in life, if we're fortunate enough to get support um, and to be able to move through it in a way that's healing, it always becomes a learning experience for us. And sure. that's the biggest thing, right? We can take our experiences and we can, um, they can break us and any experience can really break anybody. Um, but if it breaks us, we stay on the ground bleeding. And, um, you know, our other choice aside from staying on the ground bleeding is to learn from it, grow stronger and move on. Yeah. yeah. So um, there's a lot of different uh, topics I think we can explore um, in divorce. Um, why don't we focus on uh, right now when there are children and what, you know, often a client will come in and um, they've, they're now decided they're ready to, you know, pull the bandaid off, so to speak. And they want to tell the kids. And so from the perspective of a therapist, I think it's really important. I typically tell a client, it may not be, I understand that you're ready. Uh, the other side may not be ready. You know, so the best thing for you to do is I can tell you what I think. I think it would be great to talk to a therapist to kind of figure out uh, and to be unified. So can you just shed some light on, uh, based on your experience and expertise, uh, what you think uh, divorcing couples should do or not do. Yeah. And I think that's a very good point is that the first thing that needs to happen is that the parental unit needs to decide that the divorce is happening. And like you said, that's not always something that's in agreement. And that can be very confusing for children right. to have one parent tell in any situation to have a parent, one parent saying one thing and another parent saying another thing. Um, so I think parents coming together, getting on the same page. And I think, um, one of the reasons therapy is helpful for that is obviously divorce is not an emotionless event. There's a lot of feelings that come into it. People are hurt. They're angry. Um, they feel helpless. They don't want right. to put their children through this. They don't want to go through it themselves. This is a difficult experience. So I think one of the things is to help parents explain this to a way to their kids, first of all, developmentally appropriate because younger kids, we talk to it differently than older mm -hmm. children, but also in a way where, Neither parent, hopefully, um, assumes a lot of the blame. You know, one of the things I think that can be easy sometimes to forget is that children typically, and, and when I say typically, I mean always really, love both of their parents mm -hmm. and they identify with both of their parents. So to see one parent as good and one parent as bad, can be, that can be some additional baggage now that the kids need to work through about sure. now I'm a kid with a bad parent, you know? So as obviously in some cases, there's just nothing we can do there. There's some cases where 
there really is abusive situations or things going on that makes it much more difficult for the kids to heal with that parent. But in most situations, hopefully, the kids can walk away from the experience feeling like this was a situation that happened between the parents Mm -hmm. and not a situation where I need to take sides or where I need to be judging what's happening. And I, I, I see that so often where, and a lot of times parties don't even realize it and they're, what they're doing, but they're so, they're so set in jockeying their position and the walls have ears, especially when they're all living together and they may not realize what they're doing, but they're really starting to put a rift in the relationship uh, between the child and the other parent. Can you speak to, cause I have my own views but it's really, that's why you're here to, as the therapist, how, if they start going down that path, um, how that can impact uh, the relationship with the child and both, uh, both parents individually. You know, what I really, what I really believe and what I've seen over time is that children are smart they really get their parents in a lot of ways and they do it more and more as they get older. So there's not really a lot of benefit to bad talking another parent because at the end of the day, kids are going to make their own decision. Now I'm not talking about very, very little kids. Obviously if you start opining on little kids when they're very young, they're going to take a lot of that in, but it's not long before they're really able to make opinions themselves. And once they can do that, there becomes a lot of anger and resentment Um, towards the parent who's bad talking the other parent, Um, both in terms of the fact that you're putting down somebody who I love um, and making my relationship with them more confusing and more conflictual. Um, And also in the sense of there's sort of this pressure, right? If you're telling me this other person is bad, what do I do if this person wants to do something fun with me or take me out to dinner? And obviously we know that's not the language that's often used. It's often those, those little those subtle hints, those little put downs, those little digs that kind of come in, but kids are smart and they get it for what it is. Sure. So I think what I try to encourage parents with is have confidence in yourself. You know, you're a good parent. Your child loves you. Um, children at the end of the day uh, don't really care about who gets them the best toys. They're going to go through phases where they are, where they're going to say, every time I go to this parent's house, you know, right. we get to play and do toys and you have all of these rules and whatever, but I see puppies magically appearing in every divorce. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Um, So, you know, I think with that piece of it, of course, there are these temporary moments. And and of course, kids love to push buttons, right? So they'll say, you made me mad. Now I'm going to live with this parent. And you're, you know, but at the end of the day, this is what parenting is all about. Divorce, not divorce, any situation. Our kids are going to get mad at us sometimes. Our kids are going to have the fantasy of the other person who's treating them better. They're going to have other people out in the world, you know, who are doing this and this intensifies the situation. But if you're strong and steady and love your kids and you're a good parent, that's what's going to come through, you know? And sometimes I'll tell parents like when your kids say to you, you know, um, I hate you, you know, and, and I'm going to live with my other parent. I'll say to them, you know, one of my responses, yeah, that really stinks for you because I'm your parent and you're going to have me for the rest of my rest of your life. And I love you. So you're going to have to figure this piece out. (laughs) And listen, and I think what those people need to understand that, because we've all been there. I've heard, you know, all the nastiness, uh, you know, I have a little guy as you know, and he's not, it's not always rosy with him as cute as he is. And 
the people need to know, those parents, when they hear that and they complain, they need to remember the same shit's happening at the other parent's house, you know? And kids, to your point, are very smart. They're going to play the parents. They play parents in intact families. So why should it change, especially when they know, oh, yeah, I'll just, I'll say, you know, hit that nerve. And it sucks to hear, you know, what they say. But at the end of the day, to your point, be the adult and don't let the kid, you know, rule the roost. And speaking of being the adult, I think the other piece also is that no matter what our feelings are of the person who, um, you know, what, whatever your feeling is towards the other parent, that's different from the child's relationship. There are people who are um, great parents and terrible spouses, sure. you know, and that's the way it is. So and if true. your spouse is willing to spend time and love your child and have a relationship with your child, that's worth its weight in gold. Mm-hmm. So we started, we were talking about what to say the kid to the kids And, you know, there are certain people that believe, okay, we got, I've made up my mind. I got to tell the kids. And I know you said it all depends on a lot of different factors. And I think one of the factors is, okay, what's going to be the schedule, the parenting arrangement. And if you haven't worked it out, I tend to tell my clients, Don't say anything until you've figured out that because kids are not objects. They're not going to say, okay, thank you. Goodbye. They're going to ask a thousand questions and every single question that you can conceive, you know, and think about, they're going to have 10 times more of those questions. And if you don't have answers, they're going to be more confused and upset on, you know, in a lot of scenarios, parties say, okay, we're getting divorced and they commence an action. And then they live together for months, if not years, especially now with COVID, nobody's going anywhere. So now you've told your kids, okay, we're we're getting divorced. And then the same fucking routine happens tomorrow and then tomorrow and then tomorrow. And then seven months later and the kids are like, well, you said you were getting divorced. How come the days all look the same? And so wouldn't, you know, what's your opinion on that? Isn't, wouldn't that be confusing to tell the kids before you kind of had a plan? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, um, you know, any stress without resolution, without a plan is just going to be more stressful. So the reality is sometimes there's not going to be a plan or sometimes we don't know what the plan is. And in a lot of cases, I think that the best thing is to wait until the parents have come up with at least a a preliminary plan. Um, And sometimes that plan may be as simple as we need some space from each other. And, you know, one person is going to take this part of the house and the other person is going to take this part of the house. And we're going to try to, you know, try to work with that. But, yeah, I agree. Even for older kids, even for adults, even for late teens, when parents say we're going to get a divorce, um, there's going to be some questions that are going to be helpful to be prepared for. You know, one is why are you getting a divorce? Which sounds crazy because sometimes you think the kids should totally know why you're getting a divorce, but they want to hear it in your words. They want to hear your explanation. And I think it's really important to do that in a way where each parent can acknowledge their own piece of it, you know, in an ideal situation, right. And try not to put too much of it on the other person. That's really interesting because so now let's say there's been some infidelity. Mm-hmm. How would you approach that with the why? Such a good question, right? So um, the first question is, does the child need to know about the infidelity? Is right. that going to help the child to know that? Um, and is the infidelity 
the key piece of why the marriage is breaking up. So why did the infidelity happen in the first place, right? Um, And that doesn't mean that it was something on the part of the other person. It could just be that maybe the person who um, had the affair just wasn't feeling that happy in the marriage Mm -hmm. for whatever reason. Maybe nobody else's fault, whatever. Maybe they... They weren't feeling happy or they weren't feeling committed or whatever it was. So the answer to that could be, um, you know, sometimes people get to a point in their lives where they realize that the situation that they're in is not making them happy anymore. And that's what happened for us, Mm -hmm. you know, or it happened more for me and it happened less for the other person. But when one person is unhappy, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't really tend to work out for sure. either person, you know? So, and I think that's where therapy can really help you. You really want to think about what are the important pieces. Now, ultimately, that doesn't mean ultimately maybe you will decide to tell the child that there was an affair or there was infidelity, but I don't know that that's the key point that you want to start with sure. and that you want to hit with. Yeah. Well, and I think a, a problem with that in that scenario usually the other person is not seeing clearly and their anger is in the forefront and what's best for their kids is not riding and ruling the day. And so how to get them to say it and some, you know, impulse control without blaming the other person, you know, um, I will a lot, a lot of the times I'll say, go talk to somebody together and figure it out. Do you work with couples on like uh, on what to say to kids? Yeah, we work in all phases, right? One is the questioning phase. Do we really want to be together anymore? Um, the second is, you know, one person wants to end the relationship. The other person doesn't. Another one is, you know, we're really been miserable for a long time, but we kind of want to keep this together. And then the other is we really know we want to split, but we just don't know how to handle it with the sure. kids, you know? Um I think it is really helpful. You know, words have power. We all, we all screw up with our words, right? right. We all say things to our kids that we regret. And, and there's no, um, there's, I don't think there's very many points where you can't heal from it. I think if you acknowledge it, like let's say somebody said, oh, you know, they had an affair and that's it. Now we're, ha- we're having a divorce and whatever. Mm-hmm. You can still come back to that sure. and say, all right, I said this in anger. It is true, but there's more to the picture than this. You know, kids think in black and white and we can help them understand there's more to this than that. This is more of a complex situation. And, and we can always come back from anything we say. That being said, it's great if you can slow down, if you can talk to somebody, if you can come up with a plan. Remember that there's no hurry on this. You can tell your kids today, tomorrow, next week. If the situation isn't changing, there's no need that we have to address it in that moment. Um, I think that's great, great advice. Um, So a lot of times you have, and you touched upon their different phases, you know, um, marriage counseling, you know, will often lead if they, if one person decides I'm pulling the plug on this to you become someone to help them structuring the parenting plan. Mm -hmm. Right. Can you be, let's kind of pivot that a little bit. Because in a lot of aspects, even if there is infidelity, the marriage can be saved. And so can you talk about that? How can, what can spouses, what can couples do, even if it looks like divorce is inevitable, what can they do to uh, unring the bell and work on themselves to, to go in a, in, a, in a different direction and stay together? 
So, you know, one of the things that I think is really important if couples want to stay together is to start by the commitment to stay together. So sometimes I'll say to couples, all right, we don't know what the final outcome is going to be here, but can we change the next three months from I'm mad at you, I'm going to leave you to we are stuck together for three months, so we better figure this out. Right. And so that really changes that frame into how, you know, into really more of a problem solving frame. So that's one thing is the commitment. The second thing is honesty, right? Anything that any secrets, any dishonesty, you know, um, a lot of times a person will try to really protect the other person. And I'm not saying that you want to spend nights and nights and nights going into details of infidelity, but there has to be a level of honesty and openness to it. Right. When we talk about phones that are locked. I don't want to tell you who I was right. talking to on the phone. I'm not telling sure. you where I'm going at night. That's not really going to lead in a good direction, right. you know, for, um, for a couple. So honesty and openness. Um, and then I think acknowledgement of your, in an honest way of your own feelings, of your own mistakes, even hurt feelings, which is where I think that therapy, you know, really comes into it. You know, it, it comes into the piece of really saying, um, let's slow down. Let's hear each other. Let's agree that we're going to win, not by the therapist being the judge and the jury and figuring out who's right and who's wrong. Sure. We win when we have a deeper understanding of where the other person is coming from and when we can acknowledge our feelings to the other person. And then we're in a better place to make a decision about what we really want to do here. Yeah. And a lot of times that's really the harder work than actually just getting divorced because it's rolling up the sleeves and actually doing the work as opposed to just saying, okay, let me get my financial papers together and let's just go fight it out. I had a couple telling me one time after couples therapy, they're like, this is a great experience. Next time I want to do couples therapy, I'm just going to put my fork in an electric socket. It's going to be great. Like they were like, you know, it's painful. Yeah. It's hard to do the work. But the other side of it is, um, it's so powerful, you know, especially if you really still love the other person, whether you stay together or whether you divide, if you can maintain something out of that relationship, if there was something real that drew you to that person, if you're going to be with that person for the rest of your life because you have children together, um, you know, even if you split, you're going to know them. If you can salvage something out of that, that's a nice thing for you too. Totally. Um, and so, and this doesn't happen often, but occasionally I'll get a call and I'll say, well, did you try everything? Did you, have you gone on a date recently? Have you taken a vacation? You know, maybe it's just, you're having these problems because you forgot how those children arrived, you know? And so are you focusing on yourselves? And sometimes we'll say, well, have you gone to marriage counseling? And in some instances you'll hear, oh no, 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 she doesn't believe in that. Or he refuses, uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with me. So they, one person has some sort of notion that there's a stigma about going to therapy. So um, we obviously know that's not true. And this is, you know, just like when you go to the gym, you got to work, you're working on your body. This is working on you to some degree. Um, what would you say to that person that says, no, I don't need therapy. You know, I don't believe in that. I love when people say they don't believe in therapy. Like we're not fairies, like we're here, you know? Um, so, uh, I don't believe in therapy. I don't want to do it. A lot of times what I'll do, um, is ask them if they might be willing to come in and try a session. 
You know, come in and try it once. I think, you know, people have difficult experiences in therapy. A lot of it is about a match. It's about developing the right kind of relationship. And um, it's also, I think, really important when you come to see a therapist that that therapist is able and capable to sit down with with two people who may have two very different perspectives and understand that they're, if both of the people want to stay together, that their client is not this partner or that partner. Their client is the relationship mm-hmm. and that there's really kind of a third party in the room that we're working with. And so everybody needs to be able to see that, to say their piece there needs to be enough love and respect that we slow down and listen to each other. And um, we, the therapist needs to be able to call people on, you know, maybe if they're struggling with something or minimizing something to kind of help them to get through that process so that they can speak to it. Um, I think resistance to therapy does come from the stigma, you know, which I think has been really reduced over sure. years, which I think is great. And fear, right? If we go to therapy, maybe this is the last step. Maybe we're going to go there and we're going to realize, maybe the other person's going to realize, or I'm going to realize that this is really over. Um, And the only thing I can really say to that is um, you can choose to stay in your situation if you feel that you're happy enough. And if you're not happy enough, then you have the ability to create some movement, you know, if you want to take the risk. And in a lot of respects, sometimes, you know, if you're expecting happiness from the other person then, and you're not getting it from yourself, then it doesn't matter, you know, how many sessions you have. Uh, it's, it's not going to change. So I'll tell you, um, you know, so when we were talking about what I've been through with divorce and whatever, and then I'm happily married, but of course I've been to marital therapy, right? right? Because, you know, I'm a therapist. We do this stuff when things get hard. Right. And one of the most powerful lines that was said to me by our couples therapist was, um, I was angry and I was, you know, obviously angry at my husband. And the therapist said to me, you're so busy being angry at him that you're not taking care of the things you need to take care of for your own happiness. Wow. And I was really mad at her for saying that, (laughs) but she was right. You know, I was at that point, I was really looking to something that I felt that he could do Mm -hmm. to make me happier that he didn't want to or wasn't able to do. And once that piece was sort of held up to me kind of like a mirror, I went, you know what? That's true. Like there are things I can do in this situation for my happiness to grow and to be better. And I am upset that he's not doing it for me, but staying stuck in just being mad at him, it's not helping him. It's not helping me. So I think that's a big piece of it. You're absolutely right that we look to our spouses to increase happiness. And of course we all want to do that, but if we're both pulling from the relationship and neither of us is giving enough back, it's, it's not going to work. And I hear couples all the time say they're both come into the room and both of them will say, I don't feel listened to. I don't feel like I ever get my way. I don't feel like the other person is nurturing me or trying to, and we're like, wow, everybody's feeling alone and unheard. Mm -hmm. So another uh, fairly common topic that we see, and I'm, guessing uh comes through your door is when and we talked about infidelity you know um is the significant other and you know us matrimonial lawyers like to call it the paramour but it's just the boyfriend or girlfriend whatever the situation is and some people move you know they move on into their next phase of their life and their romantic relationships quicker than others it happens. I've seen cases where there are children born of with the bo- a new boyfriend or girlfriend while the divorce is still going on. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's 
that's a whole that's a whole podcast in and of itself. But I'd love to just touch upon that with you on, you know, how do we deal with that, you know, from the perspective of, you know, with your expertise, what do you say to the children? When do we introduce the children to that significant other? I will often, you know, some people, they, they want in the agreements, it's got to say that the kids, we're not going to introduce any significant others for six years, for three years, for a year, for six, whatever the timeline. And I say, every relationship is different and every scenario is different. Just like you said before, divorces are different and there's nothing, there's no magical time period, you know? Um, so I will often say, Go see, you had that therapist. Maybe you'll agree that if there's a significant other before you introduce the kids, go meet to see what's appropriate. So can you talk about, I know I just ranted on for a little bit. Can you just share your uh, expertise and your thoughts on that? Yeah, so like you said, every case is different. Um, so one of the things I think is really important to consider is the time frame and how the time frame may be different for each person. Right. So let's talk about a case where maybe there was infidelity and maybe one of the, you know, one of the spouses has been with another person for quite a long time. And now finally it's out in the open, the divorce is happening and they're really ready and excited to introduce the new person to their children. But the children are on day one, right? The, mm -hmm. the, the adult is on day 365 or whatever right. it is, but the kids are on day one. So they're not ready for that. Again, I think therapy is a nice piece for that because then the therapist can give some insight as to when the kids have maybe reached a point where they moved on or we just give them some time, right? And give sure. them a chance to, to first deal with this. So a lot of times I think the thing that's hard is that for the parents, one parent, the other, or both, the divorce has happened and has been in their head and has been a reality for a long time before it hits the kids. And it's really important to respect that time frame and to give the kids enough time to also now go through the process and whatever time frame they need to go through. Um, I'm trying to think of what the other part of your question was. I lost it. Um, like what to tell the kids and then when to introduce. What to tell and when to introduce. Um, so I love your piece about um, the other parent, you know, meeting that partner. If that's a possibility, I think that's a great thing to do. Um, if it goes well, it's something that can really increase the other parent's comfortability with that. It doesn't always go well. And I don't believe that the parent always has the right to kind of, you know, sure. stop or block that kind of interaction from happening. Um, so again, I think if parents are involved with the kids, if they're talking with the kids, they can begin to introduce the concept of, you know, what if, how would you feel? How would you feel if this was happening, you know, or I'm starting to, or I am involved with somebody at some point, I would like to introduce this person to you. So Again, are we dealing with a five-year-old or are we right. dealing with a 16-year-old, right? Um, the younger the children are, the faster they're going to be to accept a new person and to be ready for them. The older the children are, it may become more difficult for them to do that. So I want to go back to the concept of being honest, being open, but also making sure that you know and respect that the children's needs may be different from your own. And how do you really work with that? And how do you really hear them? So if I'm the parent who wants to introduce, like how do I may want my kids to move faster with that? And if I'm sure. the parent who doesn't want the other person involved, I may really want to, the person to move slower. So how, you know, we really have to work with the kids and observe and look, and we know our kids in terms of whether they're open to this 
And, you know, some kids are not going to be open to it ever. Right. I want mom and dad or parents to get back together again. And I don't want this to happen. And at that point, we may need to get some help, you know, with the process and with helping them to accept some of this. I am all for the open and honesty to a certain degree. Okay, as the as the lawyer in me, um, clients don't always want to. They certainly will often hold back information from us as the matrimonial lawyers, because they seem like they feel like we're going to judge them, even though we want to know everything before we, let's say, go into a courtroom. Um, because the worst thing that could possibly happen is you find out in the middle of a court proceeding. But some people don't want to find out, especially if the other person gets wind of a relationship, then maybe the negotiation is going to go completely sideways and mm-hmm. it's going to derail all the progress. Mm-hmm. You know, and so um, how do you, you know, you kind of balance being honest, wanting to be honest with the kids, but at the same time, uh, also being mindful that you want to kind of move, get something resolved without having to uh, charge the other person emotionally. So what I'm, what I would say about this is, um, what all of the research shows is the kids are happiest when the parents are happy, right? So if you are at a point in your legal relationship where your lawyer is advising you and saying you really can't say anything about this to the other parent and you're going to go with that, then you can't say anything about it to the kids. Amen, kids kids yeah. can't hold your secrets for you, you right. know? Um, people have a right to their privacy. Being honest with kids doesn't mean you have to tell them every single thing about your life, you right. know? I'm not going to, you know, say yay or nay in terms of telling somebody about another relationship. You're the attorney, you know, and you have to advise them that way. Um, And it's a divorce and they have a right to their to their privacy. But what I would say is that when they're ready to tell them, you want to make sure that you want to ask, why am I keeping it a secret? Is that going to work out best for me in the end? Is it going to work out best for my happiness, for my children's happiness, you know, for for our life? And then when you reveal, you want to be thinking the same questions, right? Why am I choosing to reveal now? Is it because I'm getting pressure from the person who I'm with? Is it because I'm feeling pressure from myself? Or is it because I really feel like the kids are ready and it's time, you know? And so these are the things that you, and and have I told, you know, um, my ex about this? Because if you haven't told your ex, um, your kids are going to go back and they're going to tell your ex. And then your ex is going to be kind of on the spot of having Mm -hmm. to react appropriately in a highly emotional situation. If you can give them a heads up and give them a chance to respond in a way that's better for the kids, that's ideal. Sure. Yeah, it's great advice. So I want to touch upon it. I know uh, COVID, it's, you know, it has to have impacted. I know it's impacted, um, you know, my practice. Um, and I have to believe it's impacted your practice, you know, uh, people hunkering down, living with the enemy, or it's just, you know, pressures and economic pressures and emotional pressures, um, you know, people going to work and never having or not having as much alone time with their significant other is certainly impacting relationships. So what are you seeing? It's so hard. (laughs) It's so hard. Um, So, of course, one of the major things that's really concerning is a huge uptick in reports of domestic violence, child abuse, all of those kind of things, because um, people are 
at home. So that I think that there are two separate things that are happening. One is that um, more violence is taking place because people are trapped together. And the second is that people have more alone time. So they're thinking more about things that have happened. Um, I think it's a real danger in the time of COVID that people are having this alone time and they start to ruminate and they start to think about things. So yes, that brings up more reports of prior things that have happened. But the other thing that happens as well is that um, things that maybe didn't bother them so much about their spouse, about their lives, now they're sitting with it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not, we're so distracted in our everyday life that we, and then we come together, we have some fun, we move on and, you know, we can, things can kind of move along and there's a lot of healing and distraction aspects mm -hmm. to it. In COVID, that's a lot less. So something that might bother you on a scale of one to a hundred at maybe, you know, a 20 in a normal situation, we're up to a 76 in COVID, you right. know? Um, so there's sort of a, this illusion thing also that's happening where people who would normally maybe be having a happier relationship, a more together relationship are really struggling. They're bored. They're stressed. Um, if you have little kids at home, especially now it's a little bit better, but there were people who had little kids for months where both parents are trying to work, or even right. if one parent is working and the other parents taking care of the kids, there's never a break ever. There's no daycare. There's no family help. There's nothing like they're literally not getting a break. There's no date nights. Right. If your house is not large enough, there's no privacy. So there's no intimacy. There is right. so much that's going on. So it's stressful. You know, one of the things I think is really important for couples to know is that hopefully this is going to change and that, um, you want to be careful about creating a permanent solution to a temporary problem that whatever you're That's seeing great. with I your, love that. Yeah. It's not typically the framework That's that it's be used the in, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but you know, people talk about that a lot, you know, obviously with, with suicide and things like that, mm -hmm. that it's a permanent solution to a temporary problem, but the same thing happens with our, with our couples. Right. And, um, this is a temporary solution. So a, a temporary, a temporary problem. And, um, if it's feeling like something that's having long-term detrimental impact on your relationship, it's time to get help. There are things that couples can do in COVID. It's not as great as what they right. could do outside of COVID, but there's a lot that can be done even, even in the COVID times. Can you tell, uh, the audience, uh, some examples of things they can do. Yeah. So one of the things is that, you know, we live in a world where we're very reactive, right? If you look at your schedule, essentially, um, I have this today, I have this today, I have this right. day. So we just respond, respond, respond. And we, and as our world gets bigger, more things get created. There's play dates and there's um, date night and there's friends who we're hanging out with and, and it just, you know, and, and work gets busier and then we get a house and a mortgage and, and we, we're completely reactive or very largely reactive. Sure. Um, in the time of COVID, we need to become more proactive. What's happening all of a sudden is we don't have all of these different things popping up that we need to, it's like whack-a-mole, right? But all of a sudden right. the moles have hit the ground, right? So now, <laughs> so we need to, um, wait, only certain people I think will know about it. If we're talking yeah. to a younger audience, <laughs> they may not have it. But um, that being said, it's time for us to get more proactive, and to really get creative about how can we spend time together? What can we do? Um, get silly. Right. You know, sign up for for um, baking classes online. Exercise. Awesome. You know, find a way to exercise together. Throw yourselves off balance, you know. Um, get new games that you can play with the family. If you If your kids are not, even your older kids, 
If they're not set on a structure, see if you can create an external structure. For little kids, that means bedtime, right? So that you can get some time alone with your spouse and then try not to use that alone time to just hit Netflix. Sure. Right? Um, think about the things that you would do for other people. If other people were coming, if, if your house looks the same as it did on March 24th and your clothes haven't changed and you haven't made yourselves a nice dinner and, and bought some, you know, (laughs) since March 24th. But you know, there are so many things that we'll do for other people that we don't show that same value to ourselves and our spouse, right? If somebody else was coming over, we would clean our house. We would cook a nice meal. We would decorate. We would do these things. It's so important for us to take a look at that and to be proactive. And I think the biggest piece or one of the hardest pieces is just overcoming initiative, right? When it's so much easier to just stay in the same routine. I'm a little down, I'm a little depressed, don't have a lot of energy. Let's just keep everything the same until the world changes and we can, can become reactive again. But by that time, so much time has gone by, so much potential damage has happened. So we really do need to, or if we can take accountability to have some fun, you know, um, and to, and to look for things that are going on. There was the wine fairies of Long Island was going on, you know, for a long time and people were getting involved in that. Um, What is that? (laughs) You can like go to this website. I don't even know if it's still active or not. And you put your, like your address in and people will just drop off. Oh, that's very cool. Like it was really cool. And then you could be a fairy and go and like drop off. And then you can play the new board games that you say they get. There you go. Yeah. And maybe some adult board games, which would be nice if we can institute that bedtime. Right. Because we need to start having fun. Get to know your spouse. If you've been really busy in the last 10 years raising children, doing, you may think you know your spouse, but you don't know your spouse. Right. Go get some of those trivia games, those card games, those getting to know you games. Um, you can do it intimately or not intimately, whatever you're comfortable sure. with. Do you know, you know what your spouse still wants to be when they grow up? Do you know what their fantasy vacation is? Do you know what their favorite color is still? Do you know what they would like to do if they had a night off? These are the pieces we lose in our busy lives. It's a great time to reconnect. I love it. Yeah. And if somebody is looking to say, set an appointment for you, um, are they able to do like sessions with you uh, virtually? Like, are you seeing people in person? So um, right now for, for me, myself, um, we have something in our, our practice called neurofeedback. So I do neurofeedback sessions in person and my therapy sessions are virtual. Um, we actually have a practice where we have eight practitioners. So we have people doing both virtual uh, telehealth sessions and in-person sessions for therapy and for couples. Yeah. So I've had cases where literally the client is sitting in their bathtub doing a forensic custody evaluation. What would you tell somebody if they're doing like, cause there's literally no privacy and I've heard every single story where they're sitting in a car, they are walking on East end Avenue uh, in Manhattan, just doing a session with the, uh, the neutral court appointed forensic, but now they're meeting with you to help, whether it's keep the relationship together or they're going through the divorce with your help. What ways can they have privacy and still share with you uh, what's going on? Um, so uh, first of all, of course, that's absolutely essential, right? So um, the, the first point is just a point of boundaries and of help, right? So if you're doing couples therapy and you have children, um, if you have any help, that's fabulous. If you don't have help or your children are young, I've had couples who will literally have um, their children in the room with them 
iPad, you know, the, the, the headphones yeah, on yeah, yeah. and they're playing on their iPad and that's how we're getting through the, the hour if we need to do it. Um, sometimes people do meet with me from their car. It's a very common private place, actually. They'll go into their car, they'll meet with me and it's a nice, quiet, sort of their own little office where they can do it. If there's a quiet bedroom in the house, they can do that. I encourage them to close the door to um, put a sound machine, which can either be music or a sound machine app from their phone by the door to make sure that they do have privacy. It's challenging. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's the reality. Hopefully um, you have a time in your home where you're either alone or your family respects you enough to kind of give you that space. If not, then they need to get creative. Sure. Well, thank you so much. This has been really amazing and informative and I'm so glad that you came here. Thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me. It was fun to be here. I appreciate it. Awesome. Yeah. Bye. 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 Okay.